This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, episode number 28. What are the missing links that keep women leaders from getting promoted? Today I interviewed David Peterson, one of the top international coaches. He has authored two best-selling books which provide practical advice to help people develop themselves and coach others. He has conducted extensive research on how individuals learn, develop new skills, and improve their performance. This is an incredible show. Today he shares some critical blocks that keep women from getting promoted and how to plan your career so that you will rise to the top. And listen for a special offer at the end of the show, how to get a free copy of my new $89 course, The 15 Secrets Guaranteed to Help Women Get Promoted and Be Better Leaders. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is Sabrina Braun with womensleadershipsuccess.com, and today our special guest is David Peterson, who is Senior Vice President at Personnel Decisions International, where he has been a leader of their executive coaching services for almost 20 years. He's the author of two best-selling books, Development First, Strategies for Self-Development, and Leader as Coach, Strategies for Coaching and Developing Others. He is also an, an expert on coaching women leaders for leadership development and leadership effectiveness. He's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Business Week, Time, USA Today, and in the Harvard Business Review. And I'm especially excited to have uh, David with us today because he was one of my teachers at the College of Executive Coaching in my Master Coaching Program. Welcome, David. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm very glad to be here. Well, thank you. And uh, when when you uh, coached our class, the information you gave us was so valuable. And just preparing for this interview, um, I learned a lot of wonderful things, and I look forward to you sharing that with the audience today. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into um, the coaching practice. Well, I got into coaching kind of accidentally. When I went to graduate school, I was uh, looking for part-time work. I ended up working at PDI, and that was the company that happened to be the very first company to ever offer a formal executive coaching program to managers. They started that about four years before I joined there. And as I explored that, I just really gravitated towards the coaching work. My Ph.D. is in organizational psychology and counseling psychology. It's a joint degree. And so that opportunity to work with the individual in the organizational context was a perfect fit for what I wanted. Great. I know um, you said that you had, you've done some research uh, specifically about women and the issues they have. Uh, what do you see as the issues that women have um, in the business world? Well, let me just comment briefly on what what the research was, because it's not anything that's a, a, a really substantial study. 
but I did survey the 10 leading experts on coaching at PDI, and we have hundreds of coaches around the world, but we identified the 10 who had the most experience and expertise around coaching senior executive women. And what we did is put together some of the common themes, and we actually came up with 14 different issues. So I'll just mention a couple of those. Uh, One issue is as simple as uh, so many of the common business metaphors have to do with things that women may not be as familiar with, at least historically, military, sports kind of, of metaphors. So some of the language is just not natural to women, and, and to some extent that's changing as more and more women are in the military and more and more women are, are you know, starting off with sports from a very young age. But historically, that's been a very significant issue. Uh, all the way to uh, what I think is a much more substantial issue, that women have tended to enter business more through staff roles and functions. Uh, like human resources or finance, for example, and much less through the operational experience, especially when you get into certain industries like engineering or transportation, cars, auto, that that type of thing, that the women in those industries tend to be coming up through um, functional roles. And so they don't have that kind of operational experience that really helps them build credibility. Uh, really demonstrates that they know the business and can talk the language. So that's one of the things that, again, is changing to some extent, but uh, I, don't, I still don't think we're there yet. And, and coaching people, it's really helpful to help women figure out how do you talk the language, how do you demonstrate that operational understanding of the business itself. Do you think, David, that um, women need to pay attention to the beginning jobs they're getting into when they first start their careers? Well, I think it, it is an important issue, If and, and there's two things that I, that I see happening. Um, one is that, that notion that I was just saying where they tend to come up through less than op- or other than operational roles. And second, there's a lot of evidence that shows that women are becoming more and more entrepreneurial, and they're starting more smaller women-owned companies, mm-hmm. which, I, which I see as a very good sign. But it also means they're pulling some really talented people out of the larger organizations, which, which you know, we just don't know what the long-term effect of that will be. Mm-hmm. So I, that makes a lot of sense, but I'm not sure if, if, I'm, if I'm, I've just gotten a degree and I'm getting ready to go to work for a company, do I want as much as possible to make sure I get into an operational role? as opposed to a functional one? Well, I'll give two pieces of advice. One is if you really want to rise to the top, think about where and how you will get that operational experience, where and how you will really get firsthand exposure to the business itself, whether that's the manufacturing side or logistics or um, what, whatever it is, whatever industry you're in, how will you make sure that you get real experience working at the core of the business? And the second piece of advice is that no matter what function you are in, don't let that stop you from really demonstrating that you know the business. Uh, I'll pick on human resources a little bit because uh, there are so many caricatures of, of human resources professionals not really 
knowing the business, of being more touchy-feely. Mm-hmm. And I know HR people work all the time to overcome that stereotype. But how you talk, the language that you use, the issues that you focus on um, are very important. And, and I'll give one example that I see uh, even from a woman who was in a, in a very operational role. She's a very senior woman in a technology company. But she saw part of her charter as promoting diversity in the organization. And she called herself the diversity lady because that was her big campaign. And mm-hmm. it really minimized or marginalized her role because she was leading one of the larger parts of the business. She really had a lot of business savvy. But I kept telling her, you should call yourself the business lady, you know, and that <laughs> diversity is one of your issues. You know, but if you t- if you refer to yourself as the diversity lady, you're you're undermining the fact that you really play a significant role in running the business. Mm-hmm. And men may not care. You know, these are very broad stereotypes here, but men may not care so much about promoting diversity as an issue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I- I'm just thinking about calling oneself the business lady or the yeah. diversity lady. Yeah. I can't imagine a man saying, "I'm the businessman." Um, well, yeah, but uh, you get the principle. I, I'm, not, I do. I'm not talking I, literally. I, I know, but I guess I I think a lot of it seems like when I when I'm coaching women, a lot of times they don't really understand the importance of branding or mm-hmm. explain the depth of their knowledge and that they know all these different things. You know, so it seems like men are better at that. What do you think? Well, I think women are, again, speaking very broadly, they're often more sensitive and more attuned to a broader range of issues, mm-hmm. and they tend to speak up more for the underrepresented topics. And so the men just take it, okay, we're here to do business, fine, let's jump in and do it. And women, more than men, are likely to talk about teamwork, likely to talk about building consensus, likely to talk about diversity as an issue in and of itself. And so there, it, it just tends to dilute the overall impact or draw attention away from whatever else they can contribute. So, and I think that's a very tough balance to strike. You know, How do you speak up for the things that you value without distracting from demonstrating that you really know the business? Do you have a suggestion on that? I think it's a, it's a great point. I think you have to lead with what's the business rationale. So if you talk about diversity as an important goal in and of itself, if you talk about teamwork as an, as an important goal in and of itself, cooperation, those types of things can be distracting to other people. If you talk about we have to move faster, make better decisions, and diversity and teamwork are really critical steps to help us get there to moving faster, to being more representative of our customers so that we can provide better products and and reach more markets, now you're showing that direct link. But if you lead with the business need, the business rationale, and see things like diversity and team as a means to an end, it's much more more likely to be heard. That that's brilliant. That's wonderful advice. So you want to really keep the the frame as as the business rationale, and then include those things that you think are important as part of that. It's actually going to make it more likely that you can influence those things that you're really concerned about. Absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
what else can a woman do to build her reputation or brand? Well, I think that you know it's almost trivial that that there's a lot of similarity between women and men on that type of issue is that first of all you have to be doing pretty good work and so make sure that you know your your task you understand the role that you have and you're doing good work but that in itself is obviously not enough and so you have to let people know and one of my recommendations on how you let people know is to tell a lot of stories about other people and their success and the role that you played in that. So you never put yourself in the foreground because that starts to look too self-promoting. But you are always part of the background message. So, for example, you might say, you know, about one of your direct reports, hey, didn't John do a great presentation? You know, the two of us spent a lot of time working together to get him prepared for that. But wasn't he fabulous? And so you can see that ostensibly you're talking about John, but you're mentioning I was coaching him. I helped him do that. You know, so our our team has been fabulous. Look at the results we got last year. That was partly because we spent so much time building the teamwork, getting the right people on the team, and that was a lot of hard work, but look how much it paid off. You know, so that you become the central theme in all of those success stories. It's a, it's a great um, great idea, and um, it also helps with that. How does she gain recognition and visibility? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, who does she say this to? Who does she need to let know uh, the things that she's accomplishing and and the successes she's having? One of the really interesting things that I think people forget all the time is that if you want to get promoted, and and not everybody does, but if that's a key goal that you have to be communicating with your boss's boss. So women, in in many cases, focus on pleasing their boss, uh, the people around them, that immediate circle, and oftentimes they neglect the very senior people who are actually the ones who will be making the decisions about who gets promoted, who moves into another job. So if they think about who's the decision maker and how do I make sure that they know So some women tend to hope that their boss loves them and therefore their boss will then share the story with other people. But you have to take responsibility firsthand for making sure that your boss's boss or any potential hiring manager at that level really understands who you are and what you can contribute. And so what's a good way to do that? Well, number one, I would talk to your boss about it and say, I want to make sure that, you know, your boss understands what I'm doing. I'm thinking about my long-term career. I want to contribute. I want to network. Some bosses will say that's wonderful. Some will say, no, don't bother. I'll take care of that. So in the former case, then it, it's it's very easy just to proceed. In the latter case, where your boss is trying to be a little bit more of a, of a roadblock or a gatekeeper, mm-hmm. you have to think about, how can I, you know, what would be an appropriate way to communicate that through some type of, you know, monthly written reports, um, just stopping in the hall and connecting where you have the opportunity, but it's going to be a little bit more circuitous to get that message there. Right. And and the most important thing is is that you understand you need to do it. 
Yes. You, exactly you need to. Right. You need to, yeah. that. That's part of the whole strategy. Yeah. Is to pay attention to that. Um, shifting a little bit, mm-hmm. what can uh, women, what can businesses do to help women um, be more successful? Is there something that you can think about that you can think of that a business could do to help women in their organization be more successful? One, uh, since we're talking about coaching here, I'll, I see a number of organizations offering women and other diverse groups executive coaches. And what I see with women is that they often gravitate towards female coaches. Mm-hmm. And so if you have that opportunity to work with a coach, I would encourage women to really think seriously about working with a male coach. You already understand the female point of view. What you need to to gain is what's more of the male perspective. Mm -hmm. And bouncing ideas around with a male coach on topics that you might not necessarily talk with a man about at work. So that's one thing. The real issue, of course, is who understands what it's like to work with women in this environment. I'm sorry, who understands what it's like to work between men and women in this environment. Sometimes women are really focused on that. Sometimes a man can. But that tendency to gravitate towards women almost instinctively as opposed to even seriously consider a male coach. That's one thing I'd recommend. Mm-hmm. And what that, about a male mentor, somebody in the company that could be useful? I've seen quite a few women with a male mentor and in many ways, that can be wonderful, and I really encourage it. The potential limitation is being so locked into one person so that sometimes women, and it happens to men too, but they trail their mentor, and when that person falls out of favor or moves on, they're left stranded. Mm-hmm. And so you have to still make sure that you're networking broadly, that you're building connection to a wide range of people. And having the mentor to help you do that is really wonderful. So finding a mentor, fabulous. Relying too exclusively on that mentor and not building broader relationships, really problematic. Do you see a difference between a mentor and a champion? I'm thinking in terms of women I've worked with that had a male that really, really promoted them, getting getting their promotion that was... was mm-hmm. um, standing up for them in meetings, saying, let's give this person a chance. And and I think that's wonderful. Again, the issue is if nobody else in the room really has an opinion about that woman and there's one really strong advocate, it almost looks like an individual campaign. Right. So you you want more than one person to be your advocate. Right. 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 So you, and that's the thing you were talking about earlier, not only talking to your boss's boss, but beginning to tell people what your successes are so lots of people know yes. why you deserve this promotion. Yeah. Another issue that I've recommended to several companies that I've worked with is to to not label things as women's issues. Uh, examples of as life balance, for example, often gets labeled more of a woman's issue, career versus home kinds of things. Um, but to think about them inclusively and offer them as life balance is an issue for some people. Uh, getting honest, comprehensive feedback is an issue for some people. 
whether you're male or female, how can we help you get better feedback? How can we help you find a mentor? How can we help you uh, find new opportunities? And so I, I tend to prefer looking at things from that topical perspective rather than from a gender-based perspective. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it slots people into this, okay, that's a woman's program. Mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in reading over some of the articles you've written, one of the things that I really enjoyed was your uh, definition of clear goals and conscious choices. And I wondered if you could explain that to my audience a little bit. Sure. And and what I would say is, is that those are the first two parts of a three-part model. So sometimes I do just talk about those things, but uh, here I'll, I'll make sure I talk about all three because I think it's really essential. Okay. Clear goals is, uh, to me, has two parts. One is to be very clear about your goals and what are you trying to accomplish in this meeting, in my work today, in my job, in my career, and to really think about that at multiple levels. You know, so what's my purpose here in this meeting? The second part is that people always have multiple goals. So in this meeting, it's, my goal is not just to do a good job on the stated task. My goal might be do good work on the task of the meeting, Number two, demonstrate my leadership and my business capabilities in a way that people will see them and value them. Number three, demonstrate integrity and caring and the kinds of values that I that are important to me. Number four, it might even be how do I use this meeting to build relationships and connect to key players and expand my network. So thinking about the multiple goals that you have and the the multiplicity of things that you care about. Second, the conscious choice is really thinking about what behaviors and will I be making that will actually move forward on all of those goals or or two out of three or three out of four. So if your goal is just to do a good job on the stated task, you might step hold back as a leader and just offer content when it's appropriate. If you're there to do good work and demonstrate leadership and build relationships, you might play more of a process leadership role and facilitate the conversation and ask the tough questions and offer an opinion and challenge other people appropriately. So really driving towards better quality thinking in a a respectful way. Mm -hmm. So with multiple goals, you have to think about, well, how do I optimize a given behavior against all of those? So that conscious choice. And then the third part is effective action. How do I do that well? It's one thing to be clear on your goals and to choose a path, but the third thing is how do you do it well? Some of those things, being a facilitative process-oriented leader, are fairly sophisticated and might require some practice. So where can you work on that? How can you be diligent about improving at that? And how can you then afterwards reflect on it? How did it go? What can I do to be more effective? I I um I really like what you're saying and um it seems unusual for people to even think it through in advance. You know, I'm thinking of um, um, people that I'm coaching right now, a, a woman who doesn't own the room, and she's she's the director. 
and that whole concept of thinking it through and thinking of what you want to do in advance, how valuable that is, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even writing it down. Yes, and and thinking about writing it down in in multiple levels, like this, you know, what what can I accomplish here? What multiple priorities do I have that I can accomplish in this meeting? It's more time efficient, you know, so that networking and uh, communicating your value don't become additional tasks, but you're thinking about them every day. Given this email that I'm writing, how can I make sure that my values come across in this? How can I make sure that people see some leadership from me? You know, that that it might not be uh, simple or evident in every email, but if you're thinking about that, suddenly you see, oh, if I position it this way, just add this little bit, I look more like a leader than just an individual contributor. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's so good to do that. And I and the part about doing it well, the action step, mm-hmm. um, practicing with a coach, practicing with someone else, that's great. And then, what do you think is a good way to get feedback when you've done it? I, I mean, the one is just self awareness and noticing what you did. Um, do you think it's good to to get somebody in the room where you ask them to give you feedback later? What, what do you suggest? I think it's incredibly helpful, but let me go back and start with what you're just saying about self-reflection. Okay. Just like most people don't spend much time planning, very few people spend the time reflecting back on how did I do today? What could I have done more effectively? What do I want to do differently tomorrow? And so building that cycle, and that's really a big part of my first book, the Development First book. Um, That's the R in FIRST as an acronym, REFLECT. And being aware, what are the choices I'm making? How did I do? Where do I need to get better? And then two ways to get feedback. One, I recommend cultivating two or three people that you trust that you periodically get feedback from, and you might tell them, hey, I'm working on being a stronger leader. I'm going to ask you from time to time, how am I doing? Where do you see opportunities for me to improve? And you really enlist them as partners in your development and stay in touch with them on feedback. And you might even share, here's what I'm struggling with, any ideas, any tips. The second way to get feedback is to think about, how do I get feedback from random people? You know, so if if you have a new person in a meeting that you're at that you've never met before, you might just ask them, "How did how do what kind of first impression did I make in that meeting?" Just really curious. Any tips that you have? What's one thing you might suggest that I could have done to have make a stronger first imp- impact on you? Or it might be somebody that you don't know well, but you're in constant meetings with, and you just say, "Hey, do you have a second? What's one thing I could do to make this a better meeting for everybody? And so periodically just sampling a wider range of people and getting some feedback. Wow. It's such wonderful advice, just the whole thing of just continually asking the questions and what a different environment that makes for everybody around you. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly asking how, how did I do or what worked or what didn't work, um, that's really going to, I think people would be pretty excited that they had a leader around that was wanting to know what they want, what they could improve on. You're right. It, it, you serve as a great role model. People are, are 
proud to work with somebody who cares about improvement, and you will learn a lot. Yes. Um, You also have a question that that I've heard you ask that I love. It's, what is the most positive and powerful thing I can do right now? I actually have it up on my whiteboard because I liked it so much. What is the most positive and powerful thing I can do right now? Yes, and not everyone likes the word powerful. So uh, what's the most positive and useful thing, most positive and impactful thing I can do right now? But again, making sure that that question is connected to your goals. Given what I'm trying to accomplish here, what is the most positive and powerful thing I can do right now? Wow. So just coming with an attitude of curiosity and self-reflection in all that you do. And experimentation. You know, because we often fall into old routine habits. Well, this works, so I'm going to stick with that. But when I started asking myself, what's the most powerful thing I can do right now, I had a couple different reactions. One is sometimes I'd catch myself saying, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not really sure. I could do this, and I know it's good, but I don't really know what the most powerful thing is. So it would send me out to learn. Sometimes I would find myself saying, ooh, I know, but that's hard. I'm not ready yet. And that would also send me out trying to learn. How do I get good at that so I don't make a fool of myself next time? And sometimes just thinking about it, I would go, oh, wow, oh, I can do that right now. And I'd just dive in, but I was conscious about my behavior instead of just doing the old habit. Mm-hmm. So basically all, all of your questions bring one to being more conscious, more more self-aware. Pretty much. That's really beautiful. The first 10 people who fill out the survey at www.womensleadershipsuccess.com to let us know what is important to you before July 31st will be eligible to win a copy of my new CD course, The 15 Secrets Guaranteed to Help Women Get Promoted, and become better leaders. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.